This is a HeadGum Podcast. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Inside Voices. I'm Kevin T. Porter. My guest today is Jessica McKenna. Okay, a little background. Jessica McKenna is an actor, an improviser, a musical improviser at that, and she started the podcast Off Book with her partner and co-host Zach Reno, in which they and a guest perform an entirely improvised musical. Actually, perform feels like an inadequate word for what happens on Off Book, because the podcast is this gorgeous little container for the act of creation. It's not just an interesting conversation or topic-oriented. It's an unmitigated expression of joy entwined with the high-wire act of being silly and funny and sweet and also rhyming. There's a lot of rhyming. Here's a clip from the show so you can hear what I'm talking about. We're We're fly, we're lit, we're dope, we're real, we're in it, we're 100, we're AF. Yeah, lit, live, AF. Are you guys straight fire? Straight fire. Actually, that's the name of our label. Yeah. And we have a bunch of perks that we could offer you should you choose to join with Straight Straight Fire Fire Productions. Do you want to swim in a pool but only on a big pony? You can do that. Do you want to drink a drink but has straw but also an umbrella? You can do that. Do you want to be on a beach with no one else around? You can do that. You can do that. It's a private beach, there's other people. And if you want a clown, a party clown, with bottle service, you can do that. But if you want to take your dreams higher, you got to sign right now with Straight Fire. Fire. And if you want to take, take your dreams higher, you got to sign on the dotted line with Straight Fire. Uh-huh. Uh, should I read the contract? No. Jess herself is lovely, an unflinchingly positive person, and someone you really want in your corner. And after talking with her for five minutes, you already feel like she is. Plus, she did me the courtesy of giving me the episode title in full. Jessica McKenna has a scrappy voice. I knew it was going to be something like in this vein. Because I, <laughs> well, because most people are obviously like pretty self-deprecating or negative about the way they sound or they have like a negative relationship with it. But I knew yours would be somewhere in the family of wholesome. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Or optimistic or positive in a a way. Yes. Yes. I think that's fair and true and uh, perceptive of you. (laughs) (laughs) Has it always been this way? Like, have you always been like kind of an optimistic bubbly, like a camp counselor that you wish you had? 
Growing uh, up. I was a camp counselor. Is that true? Um, of course you were. What? Of course well, I was. Come on. <laughs> At a theater camp. Let's be real. Um, uh, yes, I think I think um, in ways good and bad, I am I am a barely evolved person from the 10 year old that I was. I think I'm one of those people where if you like met me as a kid, you'd be like, yep. Like if I could time travel my kid self into this conversation right now, it would be like, no surprises. That's exactly how I still sort of am. Well, and it's one of those things where I think people who are known for being very positive or like natively have a sunny energy, there is this underlying question of okay but like for real like the whole like impetus of some of the mr rogers stuff and the interrogation is like yeah okay but he like did a crime right (laughs) or like (laughs) like that that surely there's some like facade to it so i i think people are very envious of people who have naturally sunny dispositions though right they yeah i mean listen i have uh yep i just i there's Almost no moment in my life where I have um, any grounds to complain. So I <laughs> just like. <laughs> I, Do you know how rare that is for a person to be able to say that though? <laughs> uh, yes, and that's why I know I can't complain. <laughs> right, but I'm saying I'm saying even people in with similar lots in life as you, not even like people who are super oppressed or marginalized in a different way. But I'm saying even people with similar lifestyles would be like. Yes, but of course I have anxiety and depression and every waking moment is a nightmare in my life. Like, you you know what I mean? Like, I feel like people can always find the cloud and the silver lining. Oh, yes. And but I mean, like those people probably have real clouds. I just like I don't really have them. And that must make me obnoxious. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, not obnoxious. Just like a curio, like truly uh, an indiv- a standout in all senses. I mean, I certainly have uh, bad days and I have times when I uh, doubt myself and um, I get, you know, sad about rejection or things being hard. But really, I, I don't know what it is. I think I have like a fair amount of just delusion propped up on privilege and parents who believed in me and so it just, it makes for a concoction of a a lot of unearned confidence and a lot of just like well i don't know probably not that bad <laughs> i mean the parents are a huge factor right i yes, feel like that's yes. a make or break for most of us Yes, I'm also like the youngest of 3 and we all were interested in the arts but i'm the only one who um pursued it long into like my like who kept trying at it and so I have very much a role in my family of just like yep carry that banner girl keep it going. <laughs> like it just truly you can't compl- you have to be sunny if you have been given no adversity like if I was a whiny baby with the lot that I've been given I mean come on I know, but this is just so antithetical to, I think, most people's common perceptions of people who do comedy. Like, obviously, it's just like, okay, what's the thing? What's the thorn in your side that made you this way and and all this stuff? And I think that used to, I used to uh, fall into the camp of like, I guess I'll never be great because I don't have pain. Uh, I'll, and I think that honestly, some of them, <laughs> no, 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 that's destructive. That's a destructive way to think that greatness can only be born out of pain. And I think like people, we shouldn't make people feel like they have to preserve their pain to preserve like their artistic, um, merit. I want people to like 
be able to get get help. <laughs> but but I, I feel I know like what you I, mean because it's like yes. it's an easy narr- narrative to propagate because it is like like that's the impetus of all the difficult genius stuff and that's the impetus Correct. of like oh well he was horrible but he did thriller or whatever the case may be or a less specific example right no i feel you um and i agree it's yeah i think this is like years ago but probably when i was like first coming out of college and trying to get into comedy i was like i might not ever have anything to say and sometimes i still feel that way um but not because of like a relationship to pain just of like i wonder if what i'm saying matters um but uh, that's real yeah yeah I yeah. feel like I went through that like I I remember um I grew up in like suburbs in uh Houston like a little bit north of Houston called Kingwood in Texas but I went to church in a church further near downtown down south and it was more in an inner city and more of a multiracial uh, community and the people I met through that and their experiences and the kind of people and the character and the integrity that they had made me feel, even at that age of like 10, 11, 12, kind of embarrassed and ashamed of, yes. like, of like, have I gone through anything significant? At 12, I'm, I'm thinking this, mind you, but just like, have I gone through anything significant enough to have anything to contribute to the world or give back in any meaningful way? Boy, and I feel like it's important to ask those questions for just the moment to moment stuff of like, is my voice needed in this moment? (laughs) In this, in this space? Uh, I think that like having a little bit of a a hand on that check-in is is good. I think having like a distorted view of like, you can't be funny if you don't have pain uh, and we need to celebrate tortured geniuses even if they're terrible people i'm like all for eradicating that narrative right Boy. and and i think people <laughs> like you do honestly because i feel like it's a lesson that most people learn at a at a older age where it is oh what it takes is seeing an example of a person you find excellent who doesn't seem to have like all this stuff in their closet or all this like you know what i mean and just like seeing <laughs> totally the, seeing the corrective example of that of like Okay, you don't have to do that. You can do another thing. I think like art is a tricky area because there are like great geniuses in art. But I also like, and I've always reacted well to this thought of like, uh, you also can be sort of a craftsman of it. You can be, uh, you know, like just because we it's an industry that produces greatness and geniuses. There's also like lots of uh. I like thinking of it as also something that you can just work at and you can like just be a craftsman at and like I don't have to paint the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. I could be like the person bringing over bricks, you know, uh, (laughs) or mixing the paints together. I know what you're saying like that and that is necessary to think because because otherwise it would destroy you if you're not immediately excellent right exactly i think you can strive for excellence in your own work ethic and your integrity and making sure that like you want to grow and evolve but you also if you're not um a genius it doesn't mean you like can't contribute no (laughs) totally we have scientific geniuses and we also have really excellent scientists there's there's room for tears (laughs) in lots of industries and we shouldn't we shouldn't think that art needs to be different yeah, but art is something in in working in any sort of media with visibility is something that favors the most prominence in a way or the splashiest, flashiest stuff. So yeah. it's like in the field of scientific discovery, 
the guy who can do the test in two minutes instead of five minutes is is as valuable as the person who breaks through and does this thing because his job isn't predicated on his visibility. Right. In some ways with media stuff, our livelihoods or jobs are predicated on that stuff. Definitely. So it's a hard tension to like live in in terms of like having earned humility about everything you're doing in a sense of like interrogating your motives and like you're saying, checking in moment to moment, like, is this needed? Is this necessary? What is it that I'm actually trying to say? But then also needing to just for like survival in some ways as like a survival tactic. Oh, for sure. I think also like I... For me, when I graduated from college, I had like the veil of pretension still over me of like going to a theater school and thinking that like what would matter most is like if I could do Chekhov in an abandoned warehouse for like (laughs) 10 people and that that would be me being like a true artist. And then after like a year, I was kind of like, honestly, I'd rather be on a sitcom and I shouldn't feel weird about that. And it's not because and it's not just because of money, but it's also because of money because I'll never make money doing Chekhov in a parking lot. Uh, And it's okay that I want to have a little bit of a life and stability and savings. And also, I've never seen Chekhov in a parking lot, but I've watched a ton of television (laughs) and just the like, the pretentiousness of what matters. And and I think that like, becoming a person who celebrates that uh, entertainment is also great like that we all need it crave it have it it's part of like the collective culture it's part of what brings us like comfort and reprieve and uh i don't need to like look down on it right and that's like even part of uh like a discourse like poptimism right the idea that like what's valued as low art is as valuable as what is traditionally valued in the canon as the most artistically meritocratic thing yeah yeah totally and I don't think that that needs to extend to like not having standards and like uh, I want to like make sure that we're still pushing towards not just feeding the same old stories in the same old packaging in the same old way and giving them a pass because some people like them um, but I also think we don't need to be little little snooty snobs about it either i'm so i'm so surprised to hear that that was your takeaway after college though was going into the direction of checkoff because in and and like you said being a camp counselor at a musical theater camp before i would have assumed you would have thought like broadway or sondheim set the whole time rather than like no what i need to do is like the stanislavski method or whatever after college absolutely was there a shift in college that made that was so dramatic to lead you to that I didn't go into college as a theater major. I went in undecided because I was like, I don't know, I might just need to be a lawyer. This might be just like the thing that I, even though this is the thing I've been passionate about since I was eight years old, I might need to hang it up and be a lawyer instead because I did mock trial in high school and was like very passionate about it and I loved like learning about government and I was like, okay, I just need to go be like a public defender and then maybe eventually like get into politics. And then I was like, I actually still really like putting on plays. (laughs) (laughs) But it's Um, funny because the the idea of lawyer and even mock trial is performance still. It's like you're doing your monologue and you're making your case. So I did mock trial at Northwestern too. And I was like, oh, this isn't the same because like the program was shifted enough where you needed to, when you object, this is such like a small, I'm getting so in the micro, but we had to like object with case law numbers as opposed to just like, 
objecting like in high school you can just object relevance but relevance is like a massive massive objection in reality so you have to object like objection relevance 401 because it's this specific part of the law that kind of stuff and also the coaches were really mean and we had to be at like tournaments in Iowa on the weekends and I was like oh actually I don't like this at all (laughs) I liked it when it was like my friends in high school and the teachers were like mentors who became like good friends and I loved them and we like won and I you know it was it was everything that I love like winning and improv and doing it as a team and I didn't actually I mean I'm interested in the law and I'm, I'm glad that I like learned about it but so at like three weeks in, I started the process to switch to become a theater major. And at that point, it was too late for me to audition into the musical theater program, which is like a separate certificate at Northwestern. And if you're not in the program, you might not necessarily be in like voice lessons and things like that. And so I just kind of wasn't on that path. I did. Event- I got into the theater major my the next quarter. But um, and I made like a long form improv team and was like doing more of that. And then my sophomore year, they take like a couple more people into the musical theater certificate and I did not make it. And so I was just like, I guess I'll just never do that. So you got kind of derailed from it for like practical reasons. <laughs> yeah, I just like didn't make that program. Uh, and so I was like, yeah, I guess I'm not as good of a singer as like these people. But I am like in this, I'm in two comedy groups and like I'm doing a lot of that. And so I guess I just won't really do musicals, even though I was in like two musicals in school. And I still really liked them, but I was kind of like, I guess I'm not good enough. And then I didn't make uh, our senior showcase. So I was like, I guess I'm like not good enough to be like um, that kind of actor, which is why I always knew I needed to keep pursuing comedy. But I was also sort of in love with my acting teacher. And he told me, he was like, I see you going down these two paths of like, I know you're in like these comedy groups and stuff like that. And I was in one of those when I was in college too. And like a lot of my friends from that group have like gone on to work on comedy and he literally told me but I don't want to see you give up on Chekhov either like I've, I see that side of you too and I was like mm-hmm, you're right I must do this because right and that's why you start your Chekhov podcast last year where you that's go right. through scene by scene <laughs> of every play he's ever I'm done like, and now I'm gonna play Uncle Vanya <laughs> um yeah uh it was really like that really was the main reason now I was like still gonna pursue comedy like I started taking classes as soon as I got to New York but I was like I also need to be in serious plays. But then what fully shook you from that? I tried to audition for the Lieutenant of Anishmore that was going to be out here uh, at the Mark Taper. Cause I, um, and I couldn't, got, couldn't get an audition because I wasn't in like the union. Obviously, I think they probably just had small auditions in LA, but there was like postings on like Playbill and stuff about like and backstage about getting into the general for this audition. I tried really hard and I, it just sort of like was the catalyst for me daydreaming about maybe if I get in this play and I'm doing it in LA and then maybe agents will come and then maybe I'll stay in LA. And then I was like, oh, I think I'd rather just be in LA and I think I'd rather just try to be in TV. So then I moved. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because all these like inflection points are very practical. Like, well, this didn't work out. So clearly I had to do this. <laughs> I mean, not that like, I mean, I guess that's most of how life occurs anyway. It's not like... And that's when I realized that yeah, what I, I think, truly wanted. Yeah, I think it was it was about like I've continued to learn the lesson and continued to see value in uh, making yourself more and more specific and in a true like business mind side of this industry of like, well, what am I as a commodity? I mean, some of that gets kind of gross, but also some of it gets kind of helpful. No, but it's like what we were talking about in terms of like visibility is important yeah. for survival. 
not even like as an ego thing, but it's like literally you have to have an ego if this is what you chose to do. Oh my gosh, come on. Well, and especially in this, of course, (laughs) in the space that you're in, though, I feel like in improv stuff and musical improv stuff lends itself well, maybe more natively to your flavor, but just comedy in general, it's not something where this is what's popular right now. Like the thing that you specifically bring, you know what I mean? So like, that's what stands out in the sense of like scrappy, wholesome, positive, optimistic, sunny, bubbly. Like this sort of thing isn't just like, oh yeah, you know, it's another one of these. Or or if it does, honestly, it feels like a grift. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> where it's like positive core. Like we see like positive, like some good news or something like that, where it's like, I don't think this is actually what you mean, but like that as a flavor to the comedy that you're doing just is like harder. Yeah, well, I think like um, also just knowing what you are good at um, and what you what resonates more from you. I think like people who do really like acerbic dark comedy that can really, you know, rip something open is incredibly valuable. And I like a lot of that. I consume some of that, but I, that's, I just don't think that that's what I'm as good at. Like, and I think uh, toe dipping in some of that, it just never felt like it sat as, as much with me and I think it, this is, comedy is still an area where you can like smell the authenticity of it. And I think that uh, if I was, I think it would feel inauthentic for me to create stuff that wasn't optimistic, uplifting, uh, because I think that isn't my worldview. And so. <laughs> right. Um, so, so for you, this does feel like an authentic I mean, as much as it is like a calculation of like what you were talking about, like, okay, what's the commodity here? But for you, there, there is an authentic, like, this is the worldview that I'm sharing. And this is the thing I actually feel like I can put out. Yeah, I think the, the making yourself more specific is like, in my mind, it's been more about like cultivating the side of my stuff that is music based that maybe wasn't always in the plan or in what I thought I would do. But just realizing how many fewer people work in music comedy and how that might be a good avenue for me to stand out and uh, be a little bit more seen. I don't think I thought about it as much in terms of my tone or my point of view as much as I've just continued to refine that that is where I not only like can add because I feel like there's less of that, but also where it's going to be the most truthful as opposed to me like trying on a bunch of hats, which I think is like what early or comedy is for is like, Hey, do I like the way this feels? Like, does this resonate with me? Do I, does this lead me to come up with really funny stuff? If I like take the darkest outlook on the world, does it lead to a really funny, amazing thought or joke or moment or move? I just, it didn't for me. Like what led to that was me being like a really sensitive boy who just wants to support his mom. Like, (laughs) Right. You know? you, yeah. The early years of comedy is for you to discover that maybe you don't have a Nanette in you. Yeah, I do not. You know, let's but just, but Gatsby probably doesn't have an off book in her. And maybe she does. She might. But <laughs> she might. Honestly, like this is what I mean is like, that's a genius. I don't there. That's she's doing something incredible. Um, and I can do something entertaining and fun for people and maybe someday I'll crack like not my Nanette because I know don't that's that's so singular, but like crack my my perfect moment of that meeting the right medium and the right story. Because um, I do like believe in 
my desire to just be like a person who puts stories into the world. And I think that there might be a time where like one of those stories is particularly resonant and good and has like more of an impact. But in the meantime, I just want to make sure that what I'm saying uh, feels truthful to me. Right. Well, and it's one of those things I think that we're all questioning to some degree in the last, definitely in the last couple of weeks, but then in the last yes. couple of months in the sense of like, uh, do I, what what am I doing? Do I care? Is yes. this good? Is this ethical in some ways yes. even? And like interrogating Absolutely. those things truthfully, especially when if the aim and even when like the most authentic, truest parts of you still equates to what some people could dismiss as inessential frivolity in yeah. in that way where it's like the thing that I've like trained the most for and that I really care about and I think I'm really good at and I think no one can do but me is at the end of the day a nice break or a nice time so like like reconciling that with the state of the world and the need that exists is like really hard it's something that I've I've had to do a lot in the last yeah. couple of weeks with without I mean- a resolution to it my goodness, we all must ask that question. I don't think that there's ever one answer for it. I think like the answer is moment to moment. There are times where it is certainly not helpful. It is like certainly going to crowd the discourse that needs to happen. And then there are moments where it's very vital and very necessary. Um, and I think you shouldn't assume just because you can say something that you <laughs> that it needs to be heard in that moment. Um, uh, but I, I feel, I don't know, I don't want to like base my life off of anecdotal s- stuff, but I do, we do get like, I feel like I have enough people who've reached out about what off book is for them that make me feel confident about it at least sometimes being necessary um whether or not that's every moment and also there's podcasting is like an interesting thing because it's like what's the the difference between keeping your feed updated and the the difference of like okay i'm posting about this a thousand times and like even that micro navigation of like okay well let's still put an episode up but we're not going to like promote it but if people need it it's on the feed you know like yeah uh, and the delicate yeah because that is relational in nature that's what i mean i think like that context is uh there's no one answer i would give to mm -hmm. like yeah how do we feel about the fact that this is ultimately a little frivolous now i do think that like we try to have stories that are about like compassion compassion at their root and empathy and i think like you know, movies are empathy machines, art is em- empathy machines. Um, and so even if it's ridiculous, I think that, that we try to still, if it happens organically, that's a hard thing to like manufacture and improv. But if there's an opening to seize on a storyline that is going to be about compassion and empathy, we definitely like seize it and jump on it and, you know, use those moments as best we can. I want to back that up just to the bird's eye view of the musical improv stuff in general, because in fact, I saw you and Zach for so many years do this stuff on stage at UCB. How did that partnership come about between you and Zach? Um, We were in a practice group that was like formed out of a 401 um, that I wasn't a part of. And then my friend Dan, uh, who I went to Northwestern with and did improv at Northwestern was on that team and, and they had lost some members and were trying to like reconfigure. And he, he added me to the group and that was in early 2011 and by that fall, or maybe it was like a year into it, um, Zach and I both became, uh, he got on Herald, I got on Mod, and I think I was like, hey, do you want to do a bit for 
this uh, Christmas bit show um, because we kept making like very similar moves. I was like, as I was getting to know him, I realized that we had very similar sensibilities. Um, that group became uh, a sort of musical group and he and I had like similar musical backgrounds. Um, and so, yeah, it was sort of just like a little bit of like game recognized game of like, oh, I was about to make that exact move. Um, and I think when you see that in someone so often, I think like we have a very overlap in our, we have a massive overlap in our Venn diagram, but we do pull each other in good ways, like a little bit to different sides. How's he pull um, you? He pushes me to be more, a little bit more brave and exacting. Like I think talking about this stuff about like we are more frivolous. It's a little bit more like, uh, but I think he would push us to like, well, we should say this can, we can be a little more hard line we don't need to just like infer we can directly say like something that, that is more of a stance um I think he pushes me on that side he also pushes in our writing like uh he really pushes the absurdity up um and I think I am sometimes the more like grounding voice in our in our writing and then I'm also a grounding voice I think in our improv where I like will more often play a character who has like there might, I'm just going to sing sort of a, a sincere song right now. Um, yeah. Like I'm going to, we're going to have like a beat where it's like not that funny, but, uh, <laughs> but it's good. But it's maybe kind of good or it's at least what this story needs. It needs like a moment where it drops down. I think uh, if we were writing, I think we both do both, but I think he might be more of the joke machine and I might be more of the story structure person. Um but I think we like telling the same types of stories. We like t telling the same, like, and our comedy comes from a very similar place. Yeah, and it's, I've I've interviewed so many people and talked. I've talked to so many people who are co-hosts, and the the evergreen question is always just with your partner. And it's not even just for you and Zach. It's not just we do the show together and we see each other a couple times a week or whatever. It's like this is like an ongoing endeavor that you guys are mm -hmm. so like professionally married to each other in a way. And with something that is a that can be as intimate as the analogy with so many other people in partnerships is like, you know, it's like we're harmonizing with each other. It's like you guys are literally <laughs> harmonizing literally harmonizing with each other and like and and tracking each other. And, and I'll say he's doing way more of the harmonizing. Hey, <laughs> hey! But it's one of those things where you you don't you don't want to be a Simon and Garfield. You don't want to be a car cautionary tale no. of like ego stuff. And I think you guys coming up in like more it, like in the comedy sphere, if improv and especially musical improv is more like theater campy and permission giving and like yeah, come on, go. Like I don't think of it as like cutthroat terribly i'm sure there's like sex of it that are but but in that sense i'm just wondering how you guys steward and honor the relationship to keep it going like in in light of all these like multiple avenues of pressure in the avenue of like making a tv show together of writing together of making albums together and doing a weekly show together and performing on stage together yeah i mean he really he is like the second most significant like he he it is quippy but he is like my work husband for sure i think you know he is an incredibly easygoing person um and he recognizes that i have like a little bit more 
I'm a little bit more of like, and uh, okay, can we make like an itemized list of the goals and things that we're trying to accomplish? And great. And I'm going to share you on that Google Doc. And if I could just ping and circle back really quick about the items that we still have to do. And he sort of never chafes at any of that, uh, at least not in a way that he makes known to me. Um, He's like a true, chill, Santa Barbara, like Montessori school, (laughs) like parents cool cool parent like he just doesn't have that vibe and um we also align very much in like we believe in what we're doing and we believe in pushing it for a long game and uh if that means that there are stops and starts that's like the nature of it um but we have to keep pushing and looking at like other ways that we could continue to grow and Yeah, I I think, you know, maybe like once a year we have sort of a state of the union, like organically, it'll be like, hey, let's like talk about what you think we need to really, you have this idea, but I sort of feel like our energy is best served over here. And what, what do you think we should, but pretty much I think one of the reasons why I feel like we're a successful partnership just in like our ability to still be working together. I mean, we've been seriously working together for like seven years and I think the health of it is because we have similar goals and similar work ethics. It's not like one of us is dragging the other, but yeah, we do really, we are like very, very intertwined. I know it's, it's just something that feels especially with the musical stuff, it always just feels scary to me, you know, like it's scary to see just because you see the horror stories. But I do believe because of like the nature of the work that you guys put out, like it's not like one is a primary songwriter and this guy has the high voice, you know, like it is so entwined in that literal sense. I mean, he does um, credit where credit is due. He does compose all of our music if we ever put out um, a song. So he does definitely do more of the work on that front. And and whenever we're in a zone of that, I do try to take like everything else off of his plate. But sometimes we don't have other things that we're working on. And it'll just be like, sorry, Zach, you have to go to music zone for like two weeks. And I'll just like be here fielding emails I guess um (laughs) but we are we are like conscious of that and like you know he has like an additional credit on our album as being like the producer of it um I certainly like don't think and I think it's nice if we are viewed as 50 50 but the reality is with specifically our written music he's doing more work than me let's take a break from Jessica's scrappy voice and we'll be right back with more inside voices The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Inside Voices. And now, the rest of my conversation with Jess. Off-book, off-book, the Improvised Musical Podcast with Zach 
musical podcast with uh, Zach and Jess. I am Jessica McKenna. And I am Zach Reno. Wait, one let's of those things is a lie. <laughs> Just one. Two people in this room are Jessica McKenna and Zach Reno has never existed. I started doing um, like guesting on, on more and more podcasts. And so uh, Earwolf actually just approached me about making a pilot in 2016. And I was like, well, it, it should be musical improv and it should be with my partner, Zach. So we piloted that early in 2017. Um, and by that time, we had just been doing so much musical improv with, the, with each other. And I saw it as a, to get into like the business business side, I saw that like opening that they didn't have any, like specifically that network. And I didn't know of anything else out there in the podcast space that was musical in the same way. So it felt like, well, this will be, this might not be for everyone, but it will be very niche and specific yeah but that's what you want you don't want oh it's another one of these you want uh this isn't a thing yet so do you want to make it a thing you know yeah exactly i think like we don't have any sort of cult of personality behind us so it needed to have like its own i the idea needed to be what was going to make people go like oh oh okay and as an endeavor it does feel so unique in that sense because there isn't like a lot of competition ideologically for what the show is doing there are there are more shows now which is like great i mean like i think that's awesome um do you feel responsible for that in some ways (laughs) no i wish i i i mean i think maybe we've spread we've helped spread musical improv to like improv scenes that already existed that maybe they list started to listen to off book and they're like oh maybe we should start a musical team maybe we've like increased that but i think that that spread was already happening and and there are teams that can claim credit for that and uh, i think it's also just the way that improv itself has grown as a as a thing and and popped up in cities that eventually they'll probably get to a musical improv scene but yeah no i don't i don't think so i think that's just the nature of like the that thing growing and then having people come up from it and that and then wanting to do that as so well. you and Zach are the sole godparents of that scene is what I'm hearing that's interesting <laughs> that's right and everyone um you owe us and you're welcome and <laughs> you're welcome and link to the GoFundMe in the <laughs> notes with musical improv it is a point of fascination for me and like with musical improv in particular it does feel like there is this strange kismet that audiences respond to so Yes. Incredibly and tremendously yes. in the sense of it always feels like a magic trick. And it yes. is one of those things where you're combining <laughs> that old like cliche in the sense of, well, comedians kind of want to be musicians and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Although musicians can be actors and it usually works out. Like David Bowie can do a movie yeah, definitely. if he wants to. Definitely. <laughs> it's hard for yeah. it to work the other way around. But, I agree. But I, I'm always just curious what the people making it and that are so adept at those things think is the like ingredient or the special sauce of that response if it is just like is it truly just like this weird pavlovian they did a rhyme and it made sense and i haven't heard it before like you know what i I mean mean, i i was listening to um conan o'brien's podcast and when he had uh lisa kudrow on and they were talking about how they both rejected the like yay attitude of groundlings classes which is where they met each other and that is how i now feel about musical improv audiences a little bit i'm like um that you're giving us like way too much credit and i think that it, it like reinforces bad habits sometimes and there's like moves that you can make that uh, are really like pandering to those expectations. And um, 
I think sometimes it hurts uh, musical improv because like you sort of stop doing really good improv because you have this other thing that's happening. Now, I think when you're first starting out, it's a lot to spin both of those plates. Um, so if you like have a great scene and then once you're into your song, it's actually not that, it doesn't have any comedic teeth anymore. You are just trying to like clench your fist and get through the song because it's really hard and you're learning it and you're new to it. And I, and I, absolutely get that and I still make songs that way where it's like that chorus was boring as hell like what the heck was I doing but now that I've been doing it very regularly since 2014 I'm like well I want it to also like have comedic I want it to like pass mustard for for what it is comedically or 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 storytelling wise I don't want to like rely on the fact that this audience is going to like it just because we sang I'd be curious to hear what you think some of the cheap moves are where people can sell themselves out. I mean, setting up like a silly rhyme, rhyming a word that isn't a word and then calling it out, uh, like talking about the fact that you're singing, um, uh, you know, just lots of like... Yeah, you're rattling these off like they are just like nationally known, like we all know what happens (laughs) in these spaces when we get lazy. But it does speak to like such a sense of expertise with this stuff and you've done how many hours at this point you've surpassed the gladwell landmark i'm sure a couple of times and like i do them too because like in a full show every song's not gonna be awesome and maybe it didn't occur to you and what really matters more is you like helping your show keep the momentum and if the only chorus you could think of is yay 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 here we are yay 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 here we are that's still better than abandoning structure and like riffing in an amorphous con- conversational song for seven minutes because mm-hmm. like you couldn't think of anything better. So uh, yeah, there are lots of pitfalls. I mean, I have a lots of like nerdy, nerdy, myopic, microscopic opinions about like the minutia of musical improv. But I think that like the o- audience have audiences have responded to shows in ways where I'm like that didn't really deserve that response. And if you were holding, if you saw those same moves made in an improv show, you would see it. But because we're singing, you're not. And I think people just love music and I get it. And I that's what's so joyful about doing musical improv is like you can feel that energy and you can feel you're really are. It is like being a magician. You are blowing someone's mind. They can't understand how you're doing it. But the reality is you're doing it because you practiced. Yeah, and you're a craftsman at it. Yes, because your brain got better. You've made those roadways of like what the A, A, A rhymes are, what the E, E, E. You've gotten better at setting at setting it up so that the punchline comes second. Like once you do it a thousand times, you can get a lot better at like here are the small ways that I can make this better and stronger comedically. And I think that's what I'm really, that's what I really want to focus on. Of course, I do lazy bad songs. But like, I want them to still be funny. Like, I don't want it to just be like, I'm, I'm so amazed. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm, in, I'm encouraged by all this because I feel like, I mean, and speaking of snobbery, I feel like this is, this is probably way more prevalent in like stand-up circles, but people who are like road comics despising people who like bring guitars to their sets and like rely on that because they know it's going to get X, Y, Z as yes. a response. It's really encouraging to hear that it, it sounds like you and Zach and most of your peers don't settle for what you know can work in like a certain context and are like always pushing yourselves. Yes, exactly. Like, and I see uh, I, I, like the people I perf- perform with or have performed with like everyone is like pushing themselves but I also I see it in myself and I see it as like 
oh, I want to make sure that we're teaching. I want to make sure that we're not that, that my gosh, this truly doesn't matter in the scale of things, but like up and coming musical improvisers don't get uh, swayed by the fact that your audience is going to be like automatically more wowed than you than like just like performing if you come off of Harold Knight and suddenly you do a different show and you're like, oh, I'm not performing for improv students anymore who are just going to love how good that tag out felt. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's important to just like, in the same way you get in front of different audiences and realize, oh, I was, I was really getting used to this one type of audience. And I was like, I became um, a person who pandered to their expectations, even subconsciously, because I'm used to playing to this audience. I love how much you love this. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Truly, I'm not. I, I'm not poking fun. I I think it's terrific to, especially with a show like Off Book, because Off Book is not a show about something in that way of like, here's a topic we're going to talk about it. What an interesting roundtable with fun, funny friends. But it is like a a performance bubble, and you're making something that could have been disposable on a stage for like one night somewhere last forever, kind of trapped in amber on the internet forever. And it sounds like you feel all these like different measures of like responsibility and professional work ethic and also like compassion and empathy uh, mandates and regards and imperatives to that. Like, I, I think it's so terrific how something that is like, yeah, it's a show where we like sing a lot. I know. And I can tell when I listen to it that you guys are thinking about it from like 25 different angles to it. And I think that shows in the show. Thank you. That's really kind. I think that also that's how you keep it interesting for yourself and how you make sure that you don't rest on your laurels. I think we're interested in multiple ways that we put musical comedy content into the world. But I think we also love improv and want to make sure that like we're not doing lazy improv. Um, And there is a different expectation on us because it is in Amber and it is on the internet, it isn't the same as doing improv in a theater with just those 60 people watching and then it's ephemeral and it's gone. So that is its own responsibility of like, hey, this is something that could be edited. So we don't have the excuse of like, well, it was all made up uh, because we we have to like, we still have to vet that, yes, I stand by everything that happened in that episode. We don't, like to edit the show because we want it to have like every every improv truth in it but we certainly do occasionally if we're like hmm that's not what we wanted uh and we don't feel like we want to stand by that forever uh whether it's us or a guest and so maybe a handful of times we've like gone in and sort of like removed something sure yeah not in like a artistically inauthentic way but in like an ethically authentic way i think right that's like which the, i think was it wasn't immediately apparent because you you take that for granted you're like well everyone knows it's improvised but so like if you know it happens sometimes on stage where like someone says something or they justify something in a way and they're like ah, that's actually and you know everyone on stage should call it out or in character or not and field it so that everyone in the audience can have that collective release of like we saw that happen and we saw that dealt with and now we can move on. And then if you leave that moment in forever in audio, it's like, well, that's a different choice. Um, so we've only had to do it a, a couple of times and nothing too like crazy. But just, I don't know. I don't. That's not something that I need to be uh, permanently out there. We didn't need to say that in that way. Musical improv is a big, scary, di- high, high, high dive for most people. Um, I know that's so one a- thing about doing the show is like the ask on the guests because most of the mm-hmm. time it's like oh be vulnerable and be funny and interesting and this is like pr- 
perform for an hour and do yeah. like what do do an act that you'd probably rather talk about very personal private things instead of doing this sing sincerely you know even yes. if it is on like a comedy show so yes. that's probably interesting like trying to navigate the guest ask and and like booking with that stuff yes mm-hmm. it is <laughs> <laughs> is that like one of the biggest challenges of the show yeah, I would say, I mean, I think at this point we have enough episodes and we have enough different types of guests that we can usually use them as like, hey, so-and-so did it and they had fun. You really will be fine. Uh, we've, like, we've built up a little bit of that, which is great. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it is still always really tricky and we really, un- we understand that. And we try to like say, hey, if you want to come on and talk sing and basically never sing, that's fine. Like we will, we can ooh and ah around you. We can set your chorus. There are things that we can do. Like Betsy Starr was one of our earliest guests and I don't think she sang basically at all, but she maybe like talks sang through some songs and it's, we had like a, it's a very funny, great episode because she's still bringing something for us to like help. And, and obviously she's like singularly hilarious so that's like a, an insane example because anything she touches turns to gold but um so yeah surprise surprise Betsy was funny even if she didn't sing but um <laughs> but I mean like we have gotten even better at running that support of like truly come as you are like hop in being be a part of it but we'll try to like we want to make you look good you know so don't be afraid yeah but it's something that I feel like even in listening to the show it does the kind of natural persona and energy of both you and Zach as co-hosts do extend to a permission giving like post lunch cabin rally in that camp like truly and like yes. okay and now Betsy's gonna come up and do something yeah yes. everyone's going wild for Betsy although I yes. imagine even in doing the show that like, you guys have probably had to adjust some stuff Musically and not having a live audience in a crowd to give you real-time feedback. Yes, totally. Um, I think like at this point we make each other laugh or like the guests will make us laugh and there's like, and also I've done so many more podcasts where you kind of get that sense of, I can tell when we're onto something. It's not as immediately helpful as a live audience and it's not as like potent and and sort of kinetic feeling and uh, and that's one reason why like off book live is so freaking fun because it's the same thing it's already so performative um and now we get to do it in front of an audience so it's like giving it a real jolt of energy in addition to all these things you're talking about about like refining things and holding yourself to high standards all the time making sure you're not resting on your laurels when you're three years into a show that is such a like high wire act in this sense every week how do you find that sustainable for you personally in the sense of like doing it and find I mean it's different now because of like the way you've had to adapt with quarantine and like having to record in a completely different way than you had to before yeah but like even even beyond that like it's like a macro creative project how, how are you looking at it for yourself I'm I'm I don't know I don't want to I don't want to like say something and and this has not like been discussed, you know, but I'm also not afraid to end off book, you know, like, uh, I'm not afraid to, um, say, okay, great. That was the, that's that version of that thing. Um, because I think we're interested in the, the place where comedy and music meet in multiple ways. We aren't just obsessed with musical improv and we aren't just obsessed with podcasts. So I don't know. I think like there, there probably can and will come a time where I'm like, I can't keep this fresh anymore. Not in this way. Um, I'm playing too many scrappy kids. I'm like, 
There, we did too many times where we were a chorus of bears. Like this is <laughs> a this, twelve minute supercut gets uploaded on YouTube of every time Jessica plays. Totally. Oh my gosh, it's way longer than twelve minutes already. <laughs> so I, I, I think, um, uh, but, but I think pushing it musically. Um, every time a a, a new guest brings new energy. Um, uh, trying to like push us to take on different genre stuff. There's been an, uh, an evolution of the amount of band that we have, which has really helped to keep it musically diverse. But uh, also I think just knowing when maybe this thing is, is maybe not viable anymore. Yeah. Or, which is a scary proposition because of what you were saying before about the positive feedback you've received. That is like deeply meaningful even if it is oh, like yeah. oh this helped on my commute or this helped when i was depressed or, or something like that yes it's yes. it's hard to i think that is such a strange dilemma to look down the barrel of in that sense of like this means a lot to a lot of people but i don't know what my place is and and even now like i don't know i, I don't know how those those decisions have to be personal for everybody but i don't know how a person makes them I know, but I think about all the things that I love and they ended, you know, like, and I think, I think, um, part of, uh, something that we are, that we do have in our favor is our episodes are a little bit more re-listenable than some other podcasts, like, and they have, they have stories and they have characters, um, and they don't, they're not tied to each other. Um, certainly some of them probably feel more of their moment than others, but I think we have fans who've said, Hey, I have this episode I've listened to 20 times because this is my favorite or, um, and they know the songs and they, yeah, can, they've truly. made t-shirts of the lyrics and things <laughs> like that. So I feel like in that sense, yes, I will take that decision. Really. I will take that on. Uh, and I'm sure we would like give our fans like uh, plenty of notice. So it didn't feel like terrifying but and that this is nothing i see is happening like hyper soon but there will come a time when i feel like we have exhausted our ability for that thing to feel fresh and inventive and less like the magic trick which is like people can now see oh yeah they set courses and the structure is basically this and they're the second song's probably going to be an i want song you know like how many times before people are like yeah i get it yeah you want to be simpson season two through eight not 33 or whichever one they're on now yeah and then the other push and pull is like we still really love doing it even if it doesn't feel as challenging as it once did uh it still brings us a ton of joy to just sing and singing is so cathartic and uh joy inducing that i don't know um what other what like i'd want to make sure that we were still singing and performing because it just feels so good yeah but i love it when you frame it as a point on this like larger journey of the intersection of music and comedy and what's like the perfect platform and the perfect kismet with all those things. Cause it feels like, I mean, off book really works, right? Like, like the amount of feedback you've gotten and the validation, even from like live shows and stuff and the kind of like fan base you guys have built up. It's like, okay, this is a green flag here in terms mm -hmm. of like keep going and like a green light for whatever the next thing would be. But yeah. Yeah. And I hope those people will come with us. And I hope that like uh, that that's how they see us um, is a partnership that's that's trying to create all different kinds of content and not just as their like favorite podcast hosts. And I think that comes from wanting to make sure that, you know, Zach and I at the end of the day, we, like want to be actors like we want to be acting and stuff. And there's there's you want you want to make sure you're saying yes to opportunities and creating opportunities for yourself. But uh, I don't 
I don't want to accidentally wake up and, oh, because I was more insistent that this podcast kept going, I like wasn't putting as much effort over here. You know, we have limited resource. We have limited energy. And if it becomes not no longer helpful, then I think we'll have to we'll have to, you know, just decide that it's it's run its course. Yeah, it's weirdly like a prison where you always have the keys, right? <laughs> where it's like, this is going to take up this much amount of my time and my energy. Yeah. And even with all these like good positive things, I do need to leave at some point. And I, and I don't want to, yeah, like, and especially for like, for the aim and goal of what you guys are doing, you don't want to be like super boxed in by that. And, and okay, now we're doing this kind of musical podcast, I guess. Maybe it's not as good as the last one. Like you don't, you don't want to have diminishing returns with the same right. medium or, or feel like, like you're losing that sense of discovery or exploration. So, and also there might be, it might just be like, Oh, actually we just needed to push through and we were going to run for 12 years because once we discovered this and we reinvent every four, who knows? I just like, you can't have, it has to be on the table so that you are really looking at it uh, with clear, clear eyes. Full hearts can't lose. Can't lose. No, absolutely. You can't lose. (laughs) Can't be afraid to lose your podcast because it might bring you clearer eyes. Hey, and, Fuller hearts. And you you won't lose. Uh, but it, it uh, yeah, no, that's such a good point about like, because then it gets back to that thing you were talking about, about interrogating the moment to moment thing. So it's like, if you don't make it a given of like, yeah, this will be like the next seven years of my life. And you do make it more of, is this good for the next three months? Okay. Is this good for the next three months? And truly reflecting on that for yourself personally and, and your professional and career aims. I mean, you guys are so much more talented than talented podcasts. So do you know what I mean? Like, like, and I don't even mean that as like a backhanded <laughs> slam, but it's just like, there is a thing of like, this is it, off book does exist is just such a funny container. It's not like, here's the platform and here's like beginning, middle end. This is what this thing is. It's like, this is the container where you make the product that is like you and Zach together. And it's just like a container, but it's so clear to me as like a listener and consumer, it feels so clear that it is a container. It is not the apex or like the paragon of what's possible with the mediums, you know? Thank you. That's nice. Um, yeah. And like, I feel like if this is how people get to know us first, uh, obviously I think that's great. Um, and I love it and I'm very proud of it and it makes me so endlessly happy to get to do it and have people like it at all is like the, I mean, this is a very tough industry and a lot of people are gatekeepers from you getting to put a story that you believe in out there. And it's such a antidote to uh, getting distraught that we have some something that we do get to just put out and we do have control and it doesn't get notes and it doesn't have to be pitched to some CE who's not listening to you. What I would be afraid of is if in losing that, what would it do to our uh, resilience? Because if we cut off that, um, that sort of off ramp for that sadness, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's fair. Yeah. Cause you know, we've still, we've had, we've had big nose, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's nice, I think, to have a place where it's yes. Yeah, it's a blank check creative yes every week for you guys. Right. So if if and when we said goodbye to the podcast, I think there would be some there would need to be something that was already in place or that had taken its place as like, great, well here's where we're here's where we're keeping on our toes and here's where we're keeping sharp. We're doing this and we're getting that joy and we're getting that 
we're getting that energy that just sustains you through the harder parts. I think it'll happen, right? Gosh, I hope so. <laughs> There's that sunny disposition. <laughs> <laughs> or delusion. You know, we don't know. It's and either. It's best, but it's it is best scrappy. not to tear it apart because it is working and, and it, it is, is scrappy. it is very scrappy and it's terrific. And I really love your voice so much. And I love your singing voice. We didn't even talk about your singing voice, but that's so terrific too. What a oh, magic trick you. to be this talented. <laughs> Thanks for talking with me today. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Jessica McKenna has a scrappy voice, and you can hear that voice on Off Book wherever you get your podcasts. I don't know where you get your podcasts, and I respect the boundary that you've put up in not telling me. Inside Voices is produced by me and Steve Allman. Our theme music is by Pam Autori, and I'm your host, Kevin T. Porter. Thanks for spending time with us today on Inside Voices. That was a HeadGum Podcast.